Welcome to New Lens with Common Good Capital, where we talk with investors, RIAs, fund managers, and philanthropists about their experiences within different impact investing themes, as well as explore the power of stewardship and capital. I'm your host, Jeff Schaefer, CEO of Common Good Capital, and I'm here with Andy Loving. We met at an impact conference several years ago and uh, had some wonderful conversations. Andy is a fascinating guy who cares deeply about people and has used his skills with clients for nearly 30 years. He's an RAA and owner of Just Money Advisor. He helps his clients not only meet their financial goals, but also integrate social responsible investing and impact investing into their portfolios. So welcome. So glad to have you on the podcast with me today. It's good to be with you, Jeff. I've always enjoyed the time we've had together. So just tell us this, where are you located right now? Louisville, Kentucky. Been here, my wife and I, who also works with me in the practice, who's a PhD economist, and she and I have been here 20 years. And Kentucky's her home. We moved back home. So this, this is home. This is where we'll, we're probably here for the duration. Wonderful. All right, well, let's jump right in. So obviously, I know you a little bit, but can you give all of our listeners a little bit of background on yourself, where you grew up, maybe went to school, and then a high level of your career? Because you've got an interesting story. Yeah, well, I think one thing is, is that I kind of have my life is split up into different halves. And and this work I've done in social investing is kind of the last half. Okay. And uh, so I uh, I grew up, you know, in a pretty not different kind of setting. And that, and that as I was in a working class family in central Illinois, my mom finished graduating when I was went to summer school with her. And mm-hmm. my father never went to college. So I was from a working class, but they bade high they valued education, encouraged my brother and I to go to school. So I'd gone on and ended up with a master's in psychology and a master's in counseling. I mean, a bachelor's in psychology and master's in counseling. And then I went after some experience, I ended up in seminary. Was going really more as a seeker, if you know what I mean, rather mm-hmm. than I wanted to be the pastor of a big church and all that kind of stuff. And then out of the seminary experience, I ended up after a little bit of here and there, running a magazine on hunger and economic justice that went out to churches. That was where a lot of the things began to change. And I began to have contact with people and different organizations and perspectives that it rocked my world. And (laughs) probably one of the pivotal years was I worked as a minister in the drug culture in Atlanta, Georgia, and worked as a street minister working with um, bikers and runaways and drug dealers. I bet you I'm close to one of the only people who's ever, uh, as a minister, been offered uh, a discount on marijuana from a, from a drug dealer and you get a ministerial <laughs> discount. But anyway, that, that, it, was, it was a different kind of experience. What was the time frame back then? That was in the early 70s. Okay. And while I was there, what I did is I came in contact with a, a Christian communal movement down in South Georgia called Koinonia Farm, which is still there, still has impact. In fact, Koinonia was the place where Habitat for Humanity began because Habit, wow. uh, Koinonia was doing affordable housing. The founder of Habitat just kind of took that. But it, but, but it was, um, this was in South Georgia in the early 40s is when they began. I wasn't there then until till much later. But it was, it was Christian, interracial, pacifist, and communal in South Georgia in the early 40s. So it was wow. a pretty wild place. Yeah. And so I grew up in the church, was, you know, indoctrinated in the church. That was the community. That was really my community. And it, I just, it changed. 
it's just the, the experience and what I learned there and the experience on the street and the experience, all the easy answers didn't work. Mm-hmm. And so I began to look at my values, lots of different things. And so then I ended up running this magazine on hunger and economic justice. We did organizing and all kinds of stuff. Then it wasn't until my mid thirties that I ended up turning towards this. I, I, I tell people in other times, my early career, I, was, I spent organizing people. My second half of my careers, I spent organizing money. Hmm. And so then that's when I began. So I was, I'm going to be 74 soon. And I started when I was in my late 30s. I knew, though, already because of my social activism in the past and those mm-hmm. kind of things, I knew that the only kind of investing that I could do with any mm-hmm. conscience would be social investing, mm-hmm. would be socially responsible investing. <laughs> I learned, I, I figured out very quickly that I didn't want Merrill Lynch and Merrill Lynch didn't want me. So, <laughs> so, so you probably couldn't have the hair that you have. No, right not quite, not quite this long. No, I don't think so. And that was, that's one of the things is that I wear jeans to work every day and, and uh, I like it. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and then that's when I started when I started looking at things and stuff, and I had gotten into to social investing, even when I was doing the work, started really found out about some of it when I was still working on the magazine on hunger and economic justice. And the reality was, was that people, when I left doing that work and started doing financial work, they said, what happened to you, Andy? You know, what went wrong? And, and for me, with the whole idea about realizing we can organize people or you can organize money and that money, it's an old saying, but it's still true to a certain degree. Money makes the world go round. Mm-hmm. And it also makes, it, it, it's the thing that results in inequality and injustice. And it's, it's, it's the tail that wag, wags the dog. You have a very interesting perspective in that. And so I'd love to hear more about this. You obviously were thinking about and implementing social responsible investing well before it was popular or in vogue. Tell us a little bit about that. Like, when did you start kind of time period? And then just any quick comments about either the progression of the industry or maybe where we are today. I have seen a lot of changes within this industry in the 25, over 25 years that I've been doing. I did in the early 90s, started in the early 90s. I didn't know what I was doing, you know, and. And so first, you know, I'm like most folks, first couple of years, I was just trying to not starve. Uh-huh. And I was an RIA, you know, which is a little more difficult than when you're doing work in commission work. I did a little commission work and that kind of stuff. But yep. I moved around. I was with a broker dealer. And, and then I found First Affirmative Financial Network, which is one of the larger firms that does social investing. I was with them a long time. Yep. And so... I found a place that would support what I wanted to do, give me enough freedom to do it the way I wanted to do it. And that was that was one of the things is I had the freedom to, to build my practice the way I wanted to build it. And then I was very fortunate 10 years ago with the firm I'm with now. I moved to them because I want to do a lot of impact investing. Mm-hmm. My old firm wasn't as open at that point. And I just said, that's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in some ways I do the regular investing in order for me to be able to do the impact investing mm-hmm. the way I make a living. But then the, the stuff that really, the, the th- stuff that really moves me and inspires me and pushes me and all of that is the work I've gotten to do in, uh, 
impact investing is what I call it now. We used to call it community investing, community development investing. So it was the, you know, the, the issues around hunger. I brought them. That's how when I say those people who said, what happened to you? And I really feel like I just went into another realm where the same issues influenced everything Yeah, and began to say, let's, let's look at some of these issues from, from a little different perspective. But that's a big change. Oh, yeah. Especially, you know, because people, I imagine when you were writing the magazine and whatnot, it's probably, hey, philanthropy, donate some capital to help this out. That's one mindset and, and, is a, and a needed mindset. But the next mindset, which says, wait, no, no, take some of your, your own capital that you're going to hold that you actually need for yourself at someday, think about aligning it with some of those things as well. That's not an insignificant mind change. No, 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 it's not. And it, it was very different, but there were themes that I felt like were continuing from the first work on hunger and on climate change, and other things create that were a part of the whole issue of world hunger, war, all kinds of different things. And it was there that I began to see there are other ways to do it. The doors opened and, and I felt like that's where I wanted to go. And yeah. so kind of almost, you know, two careers or two lives, but I felt very connected, very much connection between the two. It, obviously, it's very, very unique. I mean, not, I mean, you do see it in the industry, but your background, the way you started out and then to the transition to the financial services and how you blended your two halves, I think, is is highly impactful. Yeah, one of the things that happened back then that is true is you said that was I was back early. You know, mm-hmm. that's where when, you know, we were, you know, and I had long hair then just like I do now. So we were, you know, you're one of on Wall Street. We were the crazies, you know. Right. And, and, and all those kind of things. There was a lot of mistrust about whether social investing could perform even halfway close. Mm-hmm. But then they brought some things to it, especially that I was especially interested in with community development investing, which was new. This is what that's what social investing brought and shareholder activism, which which, you know, really started back in the 80s and a little Mm -hmm. before even I was around. But it's it's really light years difference now. There are differences, you know, now for me, as an example, I mean, this is what I battle with right now. And that is, is that there's been the embrace of the broader financial services for the, in many ways, ESG in the environmental, mm-hmm. social and governance. Yep. But, but in some ways I, I try to make a delineation is that what, what really has been embraced, that that is a material factor in performance. And that's why the big guys and everybody else is doing it because it's going to affect the bottom line yeah. where, where I think, one of the things that I've always wanted to say is that, and I think that social investing does and has tried to say is that if we do this right, we're going to have to take part of our money and we're going to have to take less than the maximum return for an asset class or anything. And so, so in some sense, that's one of the big differences for me. And one of the key things I remember getting almost booed off the floor at a conference once when I started asking the question, what is the just return? Not what, what is the return we want, but is there something, is there something difference between a maximum return and a just return? And I remember being at a conference where 
you set you that must be one of your hot buttons because you asked the basically the same question. Uh, I think you worded it slightly different. And I remember I was actually sitting not too far away from you, and I'm like, "It's a really good question." And you're starting to hear people ask that more and more. There's still tension, and I think that's good. And and yeah, we're you know, but people are asking questions. There's product out there that wasn't before, just not even close. Very excited. This is another illustration I use sometimes is that we used to talk about the SRI tent and we wish there was more people underneath the tent. Well, we've got a lot of people underneath the tent now, but I also am very honest. And what, what I would say is that I'm happy they're under the tent, but there are a lot of folk who work in the SRI world now who I'm sure not, I'm not sure I want them at my table quite yet. And all I'm really talking about there is when I'm at the table, I want to know who the people are who see things much the same way I do. Yeah. Because, you know, it's just there are certain things you're willing to do, certain things you're willing to share, certain things about your life that, that, yeah. that, that you know, there's levels of. So we still got a long way to go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting in this and I would call it for, for a second, I'm going to call it impact investing. And when I say impact, I really think about private but, you know, there it is a continuum. And on one end is kind of impact first. And, and there is some concessionary nature. Nature On the other side, there's, you know, how, how do we try to generate market rate returns? And, and for me, I don't know there's a right or wrong. It's just know what you're shooting for and align that with what you're, you're trying to do. All right. So let's, um, in the interest of time, because I, I don't want to take too much of your time. That's okay. So you said you're 74. I don't want to keep repeating that, but I just think you bring a unique perspective. But how would you best describe yourself today in the, to- in the context of where you are in your life journey? Well, I think it's, it's, it's certainly clear that in my life journey, I'm a lot closer to the end than I am the beginning. Let's put it that mm-hmm. way. I, I still, you know, I still, I, I, I have goals. I have things about, you know, as an example, one of the things I'm working on right now is with a, trying to get help my clients and to trying to get some stuff together to begin to get rich white people to say, I don't know what I can do about Black Lives Matter and what can I do? And I can say, here is a black credit union that's doing great work. Put your money there. Got it. And so, so. Those, and those things it took me a while to get understand that. As an example, you know, again, I, I began to see is why don't people do more with black credit unions or CDFI credit unions, you know, right. credit unions and stuff? Yep. Well, it's because they couldn't make any money at it. Yep. Well, what I'm coming to the conclusion is I've got a part of my business that makes money. What that now does is I make enough money there where I can spend a considerable amount of time working with places where I don't make money. Mm-hmm. You know, people say, well, and people, you know, I bet you, you and many of the people listening, they do pro bono work. Mm-hmm. They also serve on nonprofit boards and stuff. Mm-hmm. But this this particular credit union we work with, a couple 2019, this credit union, ninety one percent of the mortgages they put out there were to first time home buyers. Mm-hmm. Which what does that mean? It means building wealth, mm-hmm. and we live in a world where. Black community has been shut out because of flat out government racism and stuff. So, and I don't want us to get off on this too much because I will. Sure. <laughs> uh, but, but so I, I'm, you know, I'm near the end, but I'm still excited. I'm still energized. I still, 
get up every morning and want to go to work. And I want to uh, work on some of these things and try to ask the questions of how can we do this? And I, we don't have to do it. You know, it's just like in any so many areas of life or so many different parts of where you can work. You don't have to do it exactly the way it's been done before. Mm-hmm. I feel good about the progress that the SRI movement has made and the impact it's made, but we still got a long way to go. And I'm hope I'm there for a little bit more of it. Well, I can tell you from uh, getting to know you over the last several years, I would say you have a ton of energy from from what I see. And more than that, though, I would say just the, the love of life and the love of others comes oozing out of you. And so, um, I mean, that's part of the reason why I love chatting with you so, so often. So, uh, so I appreciate that about you. You know, how are you trying to change the world? from where you sit today? We'll fess up and I got these questions beforehand. Changing the world, I think I'm trying to convince people to understand, I think even every individual, one of the things doing the work I do, we really focus on individuals, families. Mm-hmm. Yep. We don't look at the big picture. And I think one of the things I'm trying to do, how are you trying to change? Well, I'm trying to get people to understand that every time they take money and they save it, spend it or give it away, what they're doing is taking a measure of power and they're putting that in the hands of someone else. They're handing over capitals to hand over and handing over money is or capital is handing over power. And we've got to understand that and believe that to the point where we will work with other people. So I think it's, it's, it's the whole idea that We've got to, you know, it's like I'm a certified financial planner. Okay. But the reality is everything I've been talked about and told about is about what is the person going to do? What is the family going to do? And not what the community is going to do or, you know, and those kind of things. So I think I'm trying to help my clients understand that it's a gift. The money you have is a gift. And letting them understand is they have more power and capacity in conjunction with other people to really be agents of change. Well, it's interesting. One of, the, one of the things that I've wrestled with is the word fiduciary, which you are a fiduciary. Yes, I am. And I, you know, I don't have a, it written out what the definition of a fiduciary is in front of me. But generally, fiduciary is around money, around that individual. And it's interesting to me, and you kind of alluded to this, we, we think about that relationship as a fiduciary to the, to the client, but we don't necessarily think about the client's desire to how they impact others around them. And that really doesn't come into this fiduciary conversation. But for a lot of investors, uh, some don't care, but some do care about how their capital is impacting those around them. And so I just wonder if there's another term that should be added in conjunction to fiduciary about this idea of how capital impacts others other than just that one individual person. You know, we talked about it and I knew that we were going to talk about it. So it jumps to it. But for me, it's the whole issue of helping people. And they will, some people wouldn't want me to use this term with them, but becoming stewards yeah, and not owners. So go down the path. How would you describe stewardship? What does it mean to you? Yeah. Sometimes I want to say I'm, I'm a Christian and I am. But sometimes I just want to say I'm a follower of Jesus because some, sometimes that's, that I, I, that's more descriptive for me. Okay. And so, you know, I think what what I've learned is that the whole concept of of uh, of that is that what I have is not mine. It is not mine. And I just have it's a mantra. 
Mm. I have to remind myself because we live in a world and live in a, especially in this economy, mm-hmm. this context in the United States, in the Western world and whatever, that we are an ownership economy. We, we always want to talk about what do you own? How do you own this? How do you own that? You know, who do you own this with? All those kind of things. And one of the things I get out of my understanding of the faith and of being a follower is that one of the biggest things is that it isn't mine. And that's really a very, very, very different context. I mean, a, a different perspective yep. than to say I can be a, an owner. And, and, and I think a steward is one who holds it in trust to be used for its, to go for its best use. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the thing that I struggle with. I tell people this all the time is when I was young in the industry and stuff and I, we had our kids were young and we were trying to, you know, make it. We didn't have any money. Mm-hmm. And now we're back. At, I'm here at the end. and I got more money. Than I know what to do with something's wrong with that. Because <laughs> why can't we somehow be able to get that money back to people when they're young? It, it's just and that's but that's the way our world works. That's for me the whole responsibility uh, of why, how much I give away, where mm-hmm. do we go, you know, uh, you know, and I, I think that you know stewardship is that it is not mine. So, with your faith, what you espouse, how do you have that dialogue with somebody who maybe doesn't have your belief system? I'm thinking of a book I read a long time ago, Diet for a Small Planet. Francis Moore LaPay wrote it. Okay, and what? I got out of that book is that there is enough for everybody. There is enough. And and I think that what I would ask people is that we have a responsibility if there's enough to make sure that people at least have the the basic rights. And what are the basic rights that to be able to, you know, an education, right. Healthcare, those kind of things. So I think it's, it's, you know, we can talk about it in a lot of perspectives, Human rights, and I and I think that that's where, in some sense, you know, I don't think the market has enough values included in it that will end up in prospering people. You know, it's, it's the Gates Foundation. I don't think Bill Gates is a saint or anything. I'm not trying to say that, but he mm-hmm. says what he, his his foundation does say. He thinks everybody has a right to prosper, and I think that. I think the, and the, the deal is, of course, right. We have a right. Mm-hmm. They have a right. I, I've become much more appreciative of the world religions. I'm just saying I'm not smart enough and I don't have enough time to become a really good Buddhist, a really good Muslim, and a really good Christian. So I'm just going to try to be a really good Christian and a follower of, of the tradition and right. the teaching and the human that, that for me, while realizing it. So I, I, you know, I just think it's built in to humans that the, the best of us wants to make sure that everybody else has a chance. Well, and if it's, I mean, it's funny, you just go back to the golden rule and it's like, treat yeah, others right. as you want to be treated. And look, I think capitalism is a great system, but I think to the excesses, which maybe we're seeing more of that, it needs to, it, there needs to be some checks and balances. And I think that's what People are starting to experience today. Yeah, I think you know if you go back and read Adam Smith, who everybody says is the ultimate capitalist. There's so much stuff about 
what he wrote about the responsibility of capitalists to the poor around them and all this kind right. of stuff. We just pick and choose, chosen from Smith's writing, who is, you know, one of the gods of capitalism. Right. And, and we pick and chose it. And in some sense, he was the one who said economics should be in the field of ethics. That's what it was originally. It was in the field of ethics and, and stuff. But then we end up with Friedman, where the only responsibility of, of the right. corporation is to maximize profit regardless. And Friedman, even before he died, basically said, I'm wrong. One of my concerns is that we're, there's a tendency to sw- want to swing completely the other way. I'm not so sure. I, well, I don't believe that's the answer either. And so how do you how do you find that? I don't know if it's the middle ground or what, but how, how do you find for me? How do you redeem capitalism? I can say I, that resonates with me. Yeah, I, I do think one of the things is I, you know, I uh, when I started this magazine way back when I did that. And then I in the interim, I started my own business. Then I started and started my practice. And what I began to understand is I was a religious entrepreneur. And what I did is I, I began to understand people because I could, why did I do what I did? It wasn't to make money, but it was I had a fire in my gut about something. And I was willing to move heaven and hell to see it happen. And I began to understand the entrepreneur and the capitalist. Mm-hmm. And that thing in them that made uh, people more interdirected than mm-hmm. outer directed. So I think there is, I, I'm not, you know, in fact, you know, my wife is an economist and okay. we work, we work in some pretty radical Christian communities and have some pretty radical Christian friends. So when I'm in the financial world, I'm the left wing, radical, radical, uh, long haired hippie, freak and I get beat up all over the place. And then I go with to my leftist radical friends and, and, Oh, there's the sellout. There's the, you know, pause. but I do think there are elements. I don't think there's anything wrong with responsibility. I don't think there's anything wrong with asking people to, to, to take responsibility for themselves for, you know, those kind of things. But I think we have to be careful that things don't swing back too much the other way. And we've, we have examples now where it's happened in other countries, you know, but I think that, that there is, I think it's, it's, it's in, in sense for the world as we've known it, we'll know it for the rest of our lives. It, that whole idea, freedom and responsibility, there is a part of me that is a capitalist and I think it's good. We're going to, we'll wrap this up. So if you, if you could have, and it doesn't have to be the number one thing, but if you could make one dream come true for your life, what would that be? This one is where I'm going to be the ultimate individualist. Okay. That's fine. And and so, to, so what I, what I thought about this, because this was the question you had that, I, you know, I really didn't think about it. I, you know, it's, it's just the thing, I, the dream I would have is I could come to the end of my life and I could say to myself that I had fought the good fight. And I'd kept the faith in the struggle for justice and equality. So God forbid tomorrow morning that happened. Could you say that? I can say that I, I think within the foible person that lives in this body, I'd done the best I could. And I failed a lot. 
But I feel like that is the thing that's, that's moved me and motivated me more than anything else in my life. Well, from what I know of you, which I guess has been maybe three years, I actually think that's a very good description of who you are. So, uh, well, and I think, again, I think that you live a very congruent life and that's, that's part of the reason why I'm drawn to the discussions that we've had. So it's interesting to hear, hear people's dreams. And I think that's a great dream. Andy, we really just appreciate your time and knowledge and willingness to share with us here today. So again, thank you uh, so much for taking that time. Don't forget to subscribe to A New Lens with Common Good Capital on your podcast app of choice. And please rate and review us on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. This will help new listeners find the show and hopefully put them on the path to a more fulfilling portfolio within the impact investing space. I'm Jeff Schaefer. We'll see you next time. This podcast is a production of Common Good Capital and does not constitute an offer or a solicitation of an offer. Such offer would only be made through a private placement memorandum. Prospective investors in private placement securities should be aware that making an investment is speculative and involves a high degree of risk, including the risk of losing all or a portion of an investment. Investments of this nature are illiquid and subject to substantial restrictions upon transferability.